Hey there, this is Christian. And this is Alexis. And welcome to Talk History to Me. This is our first episode about King Charles VI of France. So when we first started looking into King Charles VI, I was curious about what France was doing at that time, what the climate was, what was going on. And so I looked into King Charles V, his dad. And King Charles V's legacy would be summed up as French success. He brought them back from the Hundred Years' War. The first part of the Hundred Years' War, which was 1338, England and France are going at it. They're fighting. Eventually, they sign the Treaty of Bretigny, where France willingly gives up, I would say, a broad third of French lands. Do you know, like, what part of France? I would say, like, the western. It's it's the western portion of France. It's a pretty significant amount. My French geography sucks. So, I'm not going to be able to say what. And also, there's a port up at the north of France where it's kind of where England is which makes sense so there's a small little little tittle up there and then they have a lot of France <laughs> just a little tittle just a little tittle and but essentially yeah so a load of France is uh now an English rule so France is not what it looks like in modern day King Charles V he led a series of war campaigns against those settlements and fought back the English over time and I think he bit he beat the Black Knight which is kind of a fun character out there unfortunately the Black Knight ended up dying of illness just got sick because that, that, those were the times but there was a big english lord named the black knight and they had they duped it out at any rate he beats back the english settlement and king charles's dream would be england's crippled they call france france answers the phone and says yo what's up and english says hey we have no hold, yeah we have no hold in your lands and then they would sign a treaty and say let's end this conflict unfortunately england didn't quit so though, even though England was effectively removed from France and the Treaty of Bretigny was nullified because for all practical sense of purposes, no English people were living in those settlements, they didn't quit. And so there were still raids and fights and all these kinds of things. And so King Charles had to feed his war machine, which caused him to raise taxes on the French people. On his deathbed, he kind of got to the point where he was thinking to himself and he was like, I do not want to be... This was already causing turmoil. I mean, people weren't necessarily loving this. He kind of wanted to be out of this situation. And he was like, I don't want to be the king. I taxed the people, got them all pissed off at me right when I die. That's kind of a bad way to leave it. So he told his advisors, I think I'm probably going to nix those taxes. It's just for the best. I think I think the, the attitude of the country will uh, appreciate it or whatever. Blamo, he dies. All of his advisors look at each other and they say, there's no way. I mean, France had a massive deficit at this time. I mean, this was a, a pretty sizable effort by them. And the taxes remained. So, King Charles V is dead. France is restored, which is pretty dope, but at the cost of these taxes and kind of a turmoil. And he leaves a relatively young heir. So, the country's left in good hands with his 11-year-old son, who is now king of France. He's got it. Charles VI was born in Paris on December 3rd in 1368 and inherited the crown in 1380 as a minor. Since Charles was only a kid, he obviously had some help, and his uncles, they gave him guidance and advised him. One of his uncles actually created this thing called the Council of Twelve, and it was led by one of the uncles, Philip the Bold. Philip the Bold kind of took charge and started to run the whole show, and so he ended up arranging Charles' marriage to Isabella of Bavaria in July of 1385. 
the marriage was actually really strategic because they gained a German ally. But on the other hand, she didn't speak French, he didn't speak German, and neither one bothered to learn the other's language. Well, you can imagine how great a marriage that would have been. So Philip the Bold continued to make demands, and he convinced Charles to head an expedition against the Duke of William of Gelderland. Charles left, went on this expedition, made peace with William very quickly, and returned. And that's when he realized he was kind of being played and used by his uncles, and he was like, nah, I'm not down with it. So in 1388... Charles decided to withdraw from his uncle's council and rule alone. He's roughly what age-ish at this time, right? I think it was it was 1380 he ascended. About 20. So he's about 20. Okay, just yeah. making sure. So figured it out. He's got it. Uh, he, at this time, he also reinstated his father's previous advisors to help guide him. So under this new arrangement, Charles really got to work. He wanted to do great things, kind of follow in his dad's footsteps. So he met with anti-pope Clement VII in Avignon, France, and worked to have him installed as pope in Rome. Uh, this move solidified French power in Italy. So with this power in Italy and the power in Germany, they're really starting to gain some traction. And England is like, oh shit, hold on, let's talk. So at this point, they're thinking about negotiations. They're going to get together, start talking. And this is when Charles actually fell ill with his first convulsion. Jumping back, what's an anti-pope? So an anti-pope is just somebody who publicly disagrees with the current pope and would like to take over. So, Right on. So over the course of Charles VI's life, there will be a documented 44 mental convulsions, delusions, episodes. And a quick theme for all of them is they would come and go as they pleased. So there could be a day where you had your king as you knew him. And there'd be a day where he would act in these ways that are strange that I'll get into. At any rate, 1392 is his first delusion, where an assassin attempted to kill one of Charles's friends in open court. Charles was like, holy cow, that's not cool. That's way too bold for me. So Charles gets together some of, uh, like a little war band, and he says, I'm going to go persecute this assassin that fled to a town or whatever. You know, however it works. He has spies or he has his council. He's a king. He's got resources. Doesn't matter. He knows where this assassin is. He's going to go get him. Just before his trip, he's seen by a monk who takes the king's health. And the monk notes that the king has a fever and notes that the king is kind of babbling and not making a whole lot of sense. He's not able to hold a conversation with the king. The king's not communicating. The king's not making sense. He's just kind of being generally weird. He's not there. And so the monk makes note of this. But it's not enough to stop the king from going on this mission to persecute an assassin. Yeah, I feel like you don't really just tell the king he can't go. Right? Yeah. Because he sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, you need to lie down, Mr. King. Anyway, so no. Bang. They're gone. It's hot. It's France. Somewhere along the way, they are in a forest. And at this time, a man, a random man, some people call him a leper. Some people say he's barefoot. Whatever it is, whatever atrocity he's committing, runs up actually is able to grab King Charles by the robes and starts screaming at him that you are betrayed, don't go any further, it's a trap, my king. It's all kind of like sincere in some way, but also very ominous. Like the guy's very concerned about the king and he's just flipping out, telling him, you know, that if you go forward, you'll die. Don't do this. You're betrayed. This is all a lie. King's men push this man back, but they're just... They actually beat him back. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, they beat him back. Um, But they don't arrest him. But I think that's mainly due to the fact that they're just in a forest randomly in France on a different mission. So the man's just kind of left to be standing there at a distance, and apparently he follows the king's folks for 30 minutes or so, just screaming this awful messages of, yo, if you keep going forward, you're going to die, which I would not like listening to in my ear if, uh, like, the passenger in my car or whatever just started yelling at me. Anyway, they clear the forest, and sometime later, a page suffering from heat stroke, dehydration... Dehydration, yeah. Take your pick. Yeah. 
drops some of the king's equipment. I think it's a lance, and it clangs on another page holding a helmet, and it makes a little bit of a ruckus, probably near the king's. I think it was his armor and equipment. And so the king makes the sensible decision to draw his sword. Anyway, he draws his sword, and he screams that, I am betrayed, there's traitors amongst me, and he immediately starts going a rampage, attacking those just in his close proximity. At the end of this all, I believe a knight is killed, and some accounts say there was four people killed in total, like a knight and other folks, yeah. right? Eventually, he's subdued. He's pulled off his horse. People get their hands on him or whatever. And the moment that he's kind of restrained and kind of dismounted or whatever, kind of, you know, breaking that rage that he was in, he's immediately catatonic. He's not responsive. He's not making, he's not really talking at all. He's just almost, like literally almost in a coma, which is very peculiar given his behavior literally moments before. So that's, that's the first episode. And I think by far that's the most violent episode. The next one happens in 1393. It's a little bit simpler, but essentially Charles was doing his kingly thing. But on these, this like period of months, I think it was three to six months, he did not recognize himself as Charles or the king. He did not recognize his wife. And for whatever peculiar reasons, maybe some deep-seated arranged marriage, he was actually really hostile to her, towards his wife. So he vandalized her coat of arms. I'm not sure what that means, but he was just really rude to her. He was nice to the Duchess of Orleans, which is his sister-in-law. So, ooh, la la, drama. what does it mean? But essentially, it's just a weird thing where you can be sitting there thinking, all right, I'm this dude's wife, and he hates me. And then there's a sister-in-law. And he knows exactly who she is, but he doesn't even know who he is. Anyway, so it's just a really peculiar choice. Like, Only they could talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So maybe they had their own issues. But the point is, is that it's very selective what he does recall and doesn't recall. And one day he'd wake up, be totally normal, not have any of these, you know, memory blocks or whatever you want to call them, um, strange behavior. And then the next three days, four days, doesn't really matter. Just random, he has these strange attitudes towards people or doesn't recall. I believe it's this one. If not, it's between this one and the next one. They're quite similar, where he would also remember those who were dead. He remembered, he knew the identity. He could identify like the titles and stuff of people who were no longer living, but then the dude who's sitting right there in his court. His well, children. <laughs> yeah, his children, that's right. I don't know. Weird stuff. The third episode is similar to the second. Dates of these things become more and more unclear, uh, but that's just because I believe at this point in time they're becoming more regular. So when I say third episode, this is like third, yo, this was a long time, and it was written down in more detail. But there was always something going on with this guy. Yeah, because these episodes lasted between three and nine months. Right, yeah. With a couple months of lucidity in between. Right, or even just days. I mean, it's not really... It becomes like normalized. Right. This one is similar where he doesn't know who some folks are, take your flavor he doesn't know his wife he doesn't know his kids i think he's still vandalizing her coat of arms at this point yeah. in time strangely defiling. defiling yeah i know the language there is very i would love to know what that means so fun fact so some of the language is convoluted about what he was doing because people were trying to protect like the identity of the king and it was it was kind of wrong to say like i don't i'm not i'm not going to make anything up but essentially you can imagine something really crude and crass but you don't want to say like the king is blank so some of these are just like he's misbehaving towards his white yeah. coat of arms anyway during this episode, he's also calling himself George. No title assigned. No no real reason. I'm not sure if he had anyone close to him named George, but he was George. He was not the king. He didn't really know what it was. The most interesting thing about this one was he would be running through the castle, the court, the palace, wherever he was at at the time, fleeing from enemies pursuing him. That's in quotes. Flipping out. Panicked as all hell. Not a single person chasing him. And no one really stopped him because he would just insist that he had this... Like, I don't know, he was in danger or whatever. And he would just stop by collapsing on the floor by just 
pure exhaustion. So, I mean, that's a little bit more than like hide and seek or whatever. That's like really bonkers. And it got to the point where people were just, I guess that's what he's doing. And he would collapse on the floor and he'll recover. And maybe tomorrow he'll be totally normal or tomorrow it'll be another bout of wacky king. There's also the reports of him running around a castle howling like a wolf. Correct, yeah. With There's the him wolf howls. refusing to bathe. Right, yeah. So so he was either exhausted and passed out from running or he was <laughs> straight up howling. And stinky, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, just kind of strangeness. And as you can imagine, not really capable of being a king. So there's these episodes of the remainder of his life, essentially. Some big, some small less documented as you go on it becomes more normalized and i do believe some people were trying to protect face you know you write the first one down and being like yo the king was crazy at the other end of that forest the other day but as it goes on it's a little bit more dire and people saying i don't want to have records of it, it's bad the last kind of big mental illness thing was he began to believe that he was made of glass and it was called the glass delusion or the glass syndrome and i think it's kind of derived from him like he's the big yeah person where it's documented because he was a king but essentially he wouldn't let people touch him, so you couldn't shake his hand or really interact with him in any kind of way. He was fearful of bumping into furniture and just kind of, like, if you're walking through a room and there's, you know, something like a shoe rack by your door, like, he'd flip out. Because, like, if I accidentally hit that, he could literally shatter. Like, he literally thought that he would start breaking. I don't know. I don't really understand. But literally breaking. Um, another famous detail is he had iron rods sewn into his clothing. So that way, hopefully, you know, if someone brushed up against him or something, it would be like, oh, the iron would protect him from... Keep him from shattering. Shattering or whatever. I mean, just very strange. And this is kind of the big... When you look up, you know, Charles VI, Mad King, people will say he's the king who thought he was made of glass. But really, that's late game towards of his life where I think it's kind of the compilation of all these things. So that's, that's all I really have, I think. Oh, I mean... So I can go back. It's it's not a mental break, but there is the Ballad of Fire, I believe, or the, the, the Ballad of the Dancing Burning Men. That's what it is. The Ball of Burning Men. This is in 1393, just before... So if you remember, I kind of walked you through three cases. He killed a dude. He started expressing that he didn't know people, that he didn't know people. That same year was this ball. And that's kind of a theme some people believe, where he was dressed up um, for a celebration of the wedding of a lady-in-waiting. Him and four lords dressed up as wild men, as you do uh, when you get down and freaky as king, and they were dancing. Someone comes to look for the king, and or one of the lords, doesn't really matter, and lights a torch in the vicinity of these wild dancing men, and all of them catch fire. I have a hard time believing that fire spreads so fast, but they all catch fire, and one of the ladies-in-waiting or someone in the court recognized that King Charles was one of those men and immediately kind of smothered him and got the fire off of him. So he lived, but all the others died. So it's kind of believed that his mental breaks could have been prepped by his surroundings or events that happened near him. You know, the madman yelling at him, then he actually thinks he's betrayed. He has friends kind of dying and, you know, whatever. And it just kind of spooks him out with his surroundings. So I think modern people say he has bipolar and schizophrenia. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. And I know you have a little bit of um, to say about kind of like the modern interpretation of maybe where some of his illusions may have came from or been inspired from. It seems like it's just a lot of like anxiety and being uncomfortable in a situation. If you think about it, he was king at the age of 11. His uncles kind of used and abused him. He was kind of put in a really awkward, very important position. And then events like that couldn't help his psyche at all. And so 
people just think that maybe he was so anxious and so uncomfortable that he started to just like literally manifest how he felt inside on the outside. So that's why they think he got glass delusion was that he was so anxious and uncomfortable in his mind that he manifested it into his body and he was scared he would shatter. He was uncomfortable. He didn't want to be in places and situations. Right. He felt like he was way out of place. So this is kind of like the guy that you can imagine wouldn't be volunteering to be king. Yeah. You know, maybe he what didn't really suit his personality. I mean, we don't fully know what yeah, was Yeah, none of them. this is like proven or absolute. This is just some theories, so please don't take us <laughs> Yeah, but essentially it's somebody who they're pretty confident about the schizophrenia. Schizophrenia manifests itself in your early 20s you definitely have mental issues yeah right and and so it's just a little bit tragic because this is somebody who maybe given another line of work wouldn't have manifested these so strongly in these certain ways or i mean maybe if it's schizophrenia it's schizophrenia and you know kind of what are you going to do but all these things come in degrees and he definitely didn't work somewhere that helped him with that he didn't work somewhere that was like you know what at least he's isolated and he can kind of so, like um, the Glass Delusion, there's that favorite, uh, famous composer. Shostakovich, or... I believe. Yeah. Where, while conducting, he would hold his chin because he was afraid it would fall off. He was afraid his head would his fall head off. His head would roll yeah. off. Yeah, nice chin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God forbid your chin rolls well, off. That would be a very... No, and but that's a similar thing where you could kind of say that's just a anxiety of like performance anxiety where you're up there and you're doing something that's important to you and you just know there's a crowd of people. And that, they think that's where this kind of stuff manifests itself. So, it's, it could be Glass. Like you said, that's just kind of, you think your physical body's fragile in some way. So there's a quote about King Charles VI uh, court, and it's absolutely swarmed with alchemists, conjurers, astrologers, and quacks of every description. So it feels like a lot of people just kind of think his court started to go to hell, and he wasn't a good king, he couldn't take charge. And actually, it's because of this reason that other people started to seek out power. So without this true authority, power was sought after mainly by the Dukes of Burgundy and the Dukes of Orleans. Philip the Bold, from earlier, the head of the Council of Twelve, his successor, John the Fearless, by the way, I want a cool name like that, (laughs) uh, plotted the murder of the Duke of Orleans on behalf of the Burgundy family. Then the Burgundy family became chummy with the King Henry V of England and supported him even though he just won a battle of Agincourt against the French, so they're kind of getting chummy with the wrong guy. Kind of feels traitors, but that's just my opinion. Uh, While the Duke spotted out in 1418, the Dauphin of France declared himself regent. So his son kind of stepped up and was like, hey, I think I should go ahead and take charge of France. Charles VI's son, right? Oh, shoot, yeah. I was making sure. I mean, you mentioned a couple of folks, though, but so, so this is the, yeah, the king's so son VI, is now like, yeah, yo, the king's son, I am the, I can do this. It's like, this is mine. And unfortunately, his mom, Isabella, convinced Charles VI to sign the Treaty of Troyes to have their daughter, Catherine of Valois, to marry Henry V of England. In this treaty, Charles declares his son a bastard and made Henry V the regent of France and heir to the French throne. So it's kind of a real slap in the face. Many citizens, including Joan of Arc, which is just like a fun little fact, thought the king would only sign this treaty if he was in a severe mental like state. So a lot of France didn't think he was mentally stable to be signing this treaty, and that's why he did sign it. Because obviously, declaring that your son is a bastard and giving power to England is not something you think somebody in their right mind would do. Anywho, when he died, France was kind of split. So in 1422, after he died, half of France supported King Henry V, 
and then half of France supported the Dauphin France. The Dauphin of France, (laughs) King Charles, or yeah, King Charles the Seventh. So that's kind of where he leaves it. So his dad left taxes, and he left a pretty divided country, albeit he didn't necessarily mean to. Seems kind of like he was just an unfortunate kid. He would go down in history as either King Charles the Beloved because of his boyish rule, or King Charles the Mad because of his fits of madness. One last fun fact is that in the end, Catherine of Valois passed the mental illness of Charles down to her son, Henry VI, and his lack of ability to rule is what sparked the War of Roses. So that's why I do think that there was actually some real mental issues with him because it was passed down through the bloodline, as it always is with the rulers. And that's what I was going to say, is that they believe that his illnesses are derivative of just a small gene pool. I mean, I forget, I'm not going to do it now, but you can look at the family tree of these people and it's kind of like everyone's a cousin's aunt. Pretty simple. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't have a lot of branches. It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) And so um, we joke about it now, but it's quite tragic because you're able to pass down some of these mental illnesses or whatever. You kind of of deal your heirs a bad hand. And uh, in the case of Charles VI and then later Henry, you see that happen. Yeah. So essentially country north was under English control, and southern France remained loyal to Charles VII, and that's where we leave it. Right on. So that is Charles VI of France, the Mad King with the Glass Delusion. Uh, Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Our intro song is Talk to Me by Hank Honey. He is absolutely incredible. Be sure to look him up on social media or listen to him on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to music.